many people dismiss the information they receive from the source of wisdom within them because it's too good to be true. They hear these extraordinarily positive and powerful messages and they literally reject them and do not act on them because they're too good to be true. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakhiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. I had very little to do with all that's just been talked about here. I simply took dictation, honestly. I didn't create any of the messages. I didn't produce any of the wisdom. I didn't reveal any of the solutions to life's mysteries. I simply took dictation. And I'm grateful to God and to life that I had the opportunity to do that. And I want to begin my chat with you today by allowing you to know that this is not something that is exclusive to me, this experience. If I hear one question more than any other from people around the world when I make a, a few appearances, people say to me, how can I have that experience? Or how, how can I have my own conversation with God? And, or can I even have my own? The answer, of course, as all of you in this room know, the answer is yes, and you are doing it all the time. God is talking to all of us all the time. It's not a question of to whom is God talking, it's a question of who's listening. What we want to make sure we don't do is dismiss the information. I want to say the data, almost I want to say, to dismiss the data that we're receiving from that source of divine wisdom and clarity that resides within all of us and dismiss it as either coincidence or serendipity or not meaningful or, you know what's interesting? Many people dismiss the information they receive from the source of wisdom within them because it's too good to be true. They hear these extraordinarily positive and powerful messages and they literally reject them and do not act on them because they're too good to be true. I'm in that category. I said to God in the dialogue, you may remember that passage uh, where I said, gosh, this all seems too good to be true. And God said to me, well, if, if God can't be too good to be true, who can? <laughs> I didn't really have a good answer to that question. <laughs> it's exactly right. So if, it's, if the message you're receiving about yourself, about your future, about our collective future, about your talents, about your gifts, about the wonder and the joy of who you are, and all of it, really, if the information you're receiving seems almost too good to be true, then let yourself embrace it. Let yourself accept it. Let yourself hold it as, in fact, the truth about you coming from the place inside of you that knows the truth and is the truth. Now, having said that, the title of today's talk is Our Role in Evolution. And thank you for showing up and deciding to be here for this brief time that we can share together this morning. And let's consider that title, Our Role in Evolution. I presume you wouldn't be here in the room if it didn't hold at least some interest for you. What is our role in evolution? 
I'd like to begin by saying that our role in evolution has nothing to do with everybody else. So don't feel like, oh, I got this burden or this assignment or this you know, process I have to engage in that's going to produce an evolutionary leap for humankind. So just to know that the role in evolution that you are being invited to play by life itself has nothing to do with everybody else. And it has everything to do with everybody else. So it's one of those divine dichotomies that are often spoken of in the conversations with God material. It's a divine dichotomy where two apparently contradictory truths exist simultaneously in the same space. So your role in evolution has nothing to do with everybody else, and it has everything to do with everybody else. But to clarify that apparent contradiction, it begins, and I know you've heard this a thousand times, I'm sorry to bring you nothing new this morning. I probably should have said that at the beginning, I have nothing new to say this morning. You could also all have then just gotten up and left, and it would have been... An easier morning for all of us. <laughs> but it's important to know that I have nothing new to say. And the reason you're here is not to be enlightened or appraised of or opened to something new. But merely to be reminded. I want to suggest to you that you brought yourself here this morning to be reminded of what you already know, of what you already understand. So if it sounds like I'm saying, you know, things you've heard a thousand times before from a hundred other so-called messengers and teachers and read in a hundred other books and heard yourself in your own mind from the source of your wisdom, if it sounds like all I'm doing is repeating all of that, know that that's the process. That's what's going on. That was designed to be that way. You brought yourself here not to hear anything new, in my view, but to remind yourself of what you already know. So the process of evolution invites us to answer a question, to make a decision, a major decision that we need to address today, in my view. And the decision is not whether you will participate in the process of evolution, but how? You see, you cannot not participate in the process of evolution. You're participating in that process automatically by the living of your life. So it's not a question of whether you're going to participate even in the larger process that may in fact affect other people because you are already participating. So the question is not whether you will participate but how? I hope to be able to offer you an answer that's come to be true for me and see whether it fits in your reality as well this morning. But before I do that, before we get into the how, let me just take a tiny diversion here and talk about why. And those of you who were with me the other day for the all-day event heard a little bit of this, but to share it with many of you who were not there, the why of it. I mean, like, why bother? Why can't we just get on with our lives? 
you know, just do what we do and get on with our lives. Why bother engaging in the process of evolution in a conscious way? I'm going to make that delineation in a conscious way because, as I just said a minute ago, we're all involved in the process, whether we know it or not, whether we're doing it consciously or not. We're engaging in the process of our own evolution by the choices and decisions, by the words, thoughts, and actions that emerge from us in our life. That's what's going on. We're evolving. And we can't not do that. But we can not do it consciously. That is, we can find ourselves doing it unconsciously. And so the question becomes, how are we going to engage in that process? And I think the answer to that question, how, somehow emerges more urgently when we look closely at why. Why bother? The question why is answered by taking a look at what we're doing here to begin with. But even before we do that, let's take a look at how we're doing on the planet. I made a few notes here on why we may choose as a collective to engage ourselves, to involve ourselves in the process of our evolution. My dear friends, I don't want to begin this Sunday morning with a downer. <laughs> but I do think it's important for us to look at the nature of things, just briefly, for three or four minutes, to take a look at why. Why engage in the process of our own evolution and the evolution of the species? It's simple. It's now or never time. We are a self-destructive species. Whether we're willing to acknowledge it or not, humanity is a self-destructive species. That is, we are killing ourselves and killing each other, and we can't find a way to stop it. We don't seem, as I was told in conversations with God, we can't even find a way to stop from killing each other and from killing ourselves. Much less the smaller goals can we just get along? <laughs> Can we find a little happiness and peace and joy in our life? But forget about those goals. We can't even stop killing each other. And we're doing it in a thousand ways all the time. As an example, we're poisoning ourselves and each other by the way we treat the environment. And we can't even admit it. Half of us can't even, oh, Neil, don't start with the environment stuff. But we're poisoning our rivers and our streams and the air and the ground, and, and we can't, as a species, even admit it. Much less. One of the things I've realized after conducting well over a thousand interviews with the world's greatest thought leaders in everything from entrepreneurship to spirituality to health and wellness to relationship is that life is enormous. And there are so many ways we can make our life better and better in every way, in every single day. If you're successful in just one area of life, you might just suck in another. I've known billionaires whose romantic lives were in shambles. I've known incredibly emotionally intelligent people who just couldn't make money. And that's totally fine. It doesn't matter where you are. Life doesn't have to stay the same forever. You're not cursed or destined to be miserable or unlucky in love or struggling to make ends meet. You were just never thought how to have it all, how to do things differently, how to master 
the human experience from a mind, body, and soul perspective. This is where Mind Valley membership comes in. When you become a Mind Valley member, you are coached by the greatest teachers in the world. You get to live a life beyond your wildest dreams and learn the best systems, protocols, methods, step by step by step in just 20 minutes a day to get there. You become the man or woman that you've always aspired to be. And this happens in the easiest, most effective way because of the Mind Valley transformational model. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now. Don't settle for ordinary. Don't settle for your life the way it is now. Aspire to step into your greatness. Let's stop it. We're sentencing thousands to death by the way we make modern medicine and modern medical miracles available only to the well-to-do. Millions of people can't even have access to the medicines or the, to the procedures that extend life on this planet. And I speak from experience. Those of you who were there on Friday know that I've recently, about 18 months ago, less than 18 months ago, had open heart surgery. And it was a remarkable procedure where they, you know, they slice you open and they do what they do and they do a bypass. And I had a quintuple, a quintuple bypass. To think of something like that in the middle of certain countries of the world, which will go nameless, would be impossible. So I, when I emerged from the operation, I was aware of not only the miracle of what had occurred, but the miracle that it had occurred, that I was able to access that kind of a procedure. <sighs> to see, there's nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> you gotta work with what's going on in the room, folks. <laughs> We're killing ourselves by the way we feed ourselves. Watch what you're putting into your own body. You're killing yourself, and we don't seem actually to care. It's like, oh, Neil, don't start with that now. But we're killing ourselves. We're cutting our lives short, for sure, by the way we're feeding ourselves, or, or not feeding some of us. By the way, we're not feeding some of us. I don't know whether you're aware of it or not, but statistics from the United Nations and other agencies like that tell us that 656 children die on this planet every hour from starvation. Yeah, you heard that right. I didn't say every week or every day, every hour, 656 children die of starvation because of the way we're not feeding ourselves. We can't even, we can't even get food to them. We're killing ourselves by the way we use bombs and missiles to solve our differences and resolve our disagreements. I'll show you. My missile is bigger than yours. <laughs> it is, by the way, but that's another... <laughs> We're killing ourselves by the way we sell certain substances, like tobacco or street drugs, 
And we sell that stuff knowing that it is killing us to buy it and use it. And there are probably two or three people in this room that are still buying and using those substances. No judgment here, just an observation, just noticing. We're a self-destructive species. Only a very young species, immature, would do something that they know in advance is not good for them. Oh, Neil, stop it. You got a cigarette I need to get, you know. This guy Walsh is hard to take. (laughs) We're killing ourselves by the way we use assault weapons, assault rifles, easily obtainable by children 18 years old. I mean, you can't get certain prescriptions at that age. But you can buy an assault rifle. You don't have to register it. You don't have to let anybody know you got it. You can buy as many as you want. You can have 10 of them if you want, like some people do. So you can get in there and kill as many people as fast as possible. And we do that in this world. We're killing each other by creating startlingly realistic images of violence and killing and putting them on huge screens in movie theaters and on television screens as well and calling it, you ready, entertainment. Look at some of the movies that we're watching, and we call this entertainment. And we criticize, you know, they went into the Colosseum, and the Romans watched, you know, with the lions. And I was in Rome a few years ago, and I went to the Colosseum, and I thought, how could people have actually sat in these concrete seats, you know, and watched the lions attacking the, the Christians? How, how could they have called that entertainment and cheered And then I realized, okay, maybe we're not doing it in real time, in real life, but we're not that far removed. After all these centuries, we've stopped doing it live in person, but we've created the most incredible images of it so we can continue to look at the horror and the devastation of violence and killing in front of us on a huge screen, sometimes in 3D. And we call it entertainment, or worse yet... We call it games. And we put our children at the age of six, seven, eight, and nine in front of them. Are you guys really playing? Oh, Neil. It's just a game. It's just a game until I get an actual rifle in my hand and go to high school just a few years later. And we wonder, where did they get such an idea? Where did these kids get such an idea? But we put them in front of this, they become our babysitters. We're killing each other in the most unusual way. We actually kill people deliberately with malice of forethought, total awareness, by the authority of the state, that is the government, kills people in order to teach people that killing people is not okay. (laughs) And we fail to see the contradiction. We call it the death penalty. I'll teach you not to kill people. I'll kill you deliberately. 
totally ignoring Einstein's brilliant insight that you cannot solve any problem using the identical energy that created it. No, but we try to solve violence with violence, solve anger with anger, end murder with murder. I got an idea. Give the teachers weapons. That's it. That's it. Why didn't I think of that? Yeah, yeah, put a gun in the hand of every teacher in all the classrooms. That'll stop the killing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in an insane asylum. The inmates have taken over the asylum. What's going on? And finally, I had one last note here I wanted to read. Oh, yeah, that was the most important one of all. <laughs> we kill people in the name of God. We use God as our justification for killing other people. We can call it by lots of names, but... We kill people in the name of God, and we've been doing it for centuries on this planet. That's the species of which we are members. I understand that none of you are part of most of that. Well, you're, we'll see what you have for lunch. <laughs> Maybe you'll stop killing yourself prematurely, but... And we'll see how many of you leave here, you know, with go outside and have it take a little break, a little cigarette break. <coughs> but other than that, you're probably not part of the larger problems that I've just described. But we're certainly all witnessing it. And it's getting to the point where we wake up in the morning almost nervous to turn on the Internet or read the paper. Paper. Yeah, that was a flimsy substance that you'd hold in your hand <laughs> that had words printed on it. In the morning, you'd actually read off of it. It's called a newspaper. We don't want to turn the news on. What's happening? What's going on? How can it get any worse? And what can be done, if anything, to make it better? And that becomes the question of the day. So let's look at how we can participate if we choose to make it better. Because, guys, ladies and gentlemen, truly, honestly, and, and all joking aside, it's now or never time. It happens in the next 20 or 30 years, and that's a long stretch. Or it's not going to happen at all. So this is about the future of yourself, if you're a younger person, certainly of your children, absolutely of your children's children. That's what we're talking about here. And if any of that matters to you, then you'll want to listen carefully to some of the tools I hope to share about our role in evolution. Again, nothing new. You're going to realize you've heard all this before, but as a reminder... So let's take a look at those ways that you can involve yourself in the process of evolution. 
And let's begin by remembering what I said at the outset. It has to do with you and you and you and you. What have I done, speaking about myself, and you get to ask yourself the same question, what have I done today to move forward my own evolutionary journey, my own evolutionary process? So I'm going to give you a tool that I'd like you to consider using in your life. I call this tool, and it was given to me, by the way, in conversations with God, the four fundamental questions of life. And I invite you to determine what is your role in the evolution of yourself and your species by using this tool. And I'm going to invite you to use the tool every day, every morning when you wake up. In fact, you may want to use it two or three times a day, perhaps morning, noon, and night. It wouldn't be a bad idea at the beginning at least uh, until you get yourself used to living inside the context of that tool. The tool I call the four fundamental questions of life. These are four questions that most people live their entire lives and never ask themselves much less answer. Some of you in this room, again, I realize I'm speaking here to the cognoscenti, those who know. By the way, if you think it's easy to use the word cognoscenti in a sentence, try it sometime. <laughs> you have to really fight hard to fit it in. I realize I'm sitting here in front of those who know, and you know, I've observed that people fall into a number of different categories. There are those who don't know, and they don't know that they don't know. <laughs> they are innocent, like children. Nurture them. There are those who don't know, but they are willing to know. They are students. Teach them. Then there are those who don't know, but they think that they know. They are dangerous. Avoid them. Then there are those who know, but who don't know that they know. They are illusory, living in the dilemma of their own illusions. They're asleep. Wake them. Then there are those who know and who know that they know. These are the cognoscenti, those who know. Don't follow them blindly, but listen very carefully to what they have to say because they may just remind you and others as well who have temporarily forgotten that they know. Because there's another category here, there are those who know but pretend that they don't know. They are actors, enjoy them. <laughs> Let them enjoy their dramas but only up to a certain point and then Wake them up. Wake up, wake up, wake up. You just made that all up. You just made that all up. Stop it. Get back to who you really are. Which is the first of the four fundamental questions of life.
If you wake up every morning and look at yourself in the mirror after the UG, <laughs> I mean, that's where I start, you know, just like, uh, But then, you know, I throw some cold water and I feel a little bit better and I look at myself and I realize, you know, it's not so bad. You know, it could be worse. And then I graduate from not so bad, could be worse to, I get better and better every day. <laughs> then I ask myself the first of the four fundamental questions of life. I've trained myself to do this every morning when I wake up. First question, who am I? This is the big decision that you have an opportunity to make today. We talked about this on Friday, for those of you who are there. Forgive the repetition, but I have only one message. Who am I becomes the key question of your life. Are you a physical entity, a physical being? A chemical creature, if you please, you know, a combination of chemical elements that forms and shapes itself this way, as opposed to forming and shaping itself as a dolphin or a whale or a bird in the sky or a fish in the sea. Just another biological chemical entity in this particular form. And you may think that this is the most sophisticated of all the life forms on the planet. I wouldn't guarantee that, by the way. There's some question as to whether dolphins and whales may have a way to engage in their society that's far more elevated than our own, but that's another whole workshop. I'll let Lisa Nichols handle that one. <laughs> Love you, Lisa. Just kidding. But is that who we are? Basically a chemical creature that we, you know, we were born, we live, we have this experience, we die, and... That's it? Or is it possible, just possible, that we're more than that? That we are actually not a chemical creature, but a spiritual entity. A spiritual entity that has a body and a mind, but that is not their body and their mind. Just understands that that's something you have, like equipment tools. So you have your body and your mind, but you're not your body and your mind. But you are that which has a body and a mind. If you decide that that's who you are, and many of you in this room have already made that decision. Yes, that's, that describes me. I am a spiritual entity with a body and a mind. But then we needs must ask ourselves the next obvious question. Why? Why would I have a body and a mind? What am I... What am I doing with these tools? What's the point of it? Why would my spirit put me here of all places and cause me to stay here for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 or more years? I never thought I'd reach the age that I am. I'm an old person. I wake up in the morning and I look in the mirror, really, and I say, wow, still here. <laughs> You know, I like like 74 years old, which is, and a lot of you, not bad for 74, eh?
<laughs> you know, I was telling somebody the other day at dinner, I started my career, I started my, my public career as a stand-up comic. Not many people know that, but I did stand-up, and I clearly still do. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh gosh. You know, here I still am. I never really imagined that I would make it to this age. And this is not old. There are people in the audience right here who are way older than I am. <laughs> like you, sir. <laughs> and a few of you. And still haven't answered the question to their own satisfaction. Still haven't come to a conclusion after all those years, really, truly, honestly, what's it all about, Alfie? What am I doing here? What's the agenda? Somebody tell me the agenda. Somebody give me the rules. I'll play, I promise I'll play. Just give me the rule book. And after you give me the rules, don't change them. Because they keep changing every 24 hours. What are the rules and what am I doing here? What's the point? If we are, in fact, spiritual entities. By the way, I'm just curious. Just take a quick survey. Survey says, how many of you think of yourself as a spiritual entity, not simply a chemical creature? That's practically everybody in the room. With the lady in the second row, two chairs in, please leave the room. <laughs> She didn't, leave, she didn't even have the energy to raise her hand. She was like, no, I'm a spiritual entity, but I'm not going to raise her hand. She said, I didn't want to brag. So, so if you really imagine yourself to be a spiritual entity and not simply a chemical creature, really and truly, there have to be some mornings of your life, some days of your existence, sometimes driving down the road or in the shower stall or whatever, when you have to examine the question, you must once in a while ask yourself, why? I mean, really, what's the objective? What's the purpose? What's the point of having come here? gone through what I've gone through, and every one of us has our story. Every one of us has our story that could bring you to tears. Really? That happened to you? Really? Really? You're going through that now? My God. So every one of us has a right to sit up and say, excuse me, God, excuse me, but just why? But when we answer the question, why, we suddenly accelerate the evolutionary process. And when we live into the answer, why, that is, become an example of living the answer, when we become a model of the answer, an exemplar, if I dare use the word, when we become that, we not only accelerate the evolutionary process within ourselves, but in fact, within the lives of all those whose lives we touch. And suddenly, life has a dual purpose. So let's take a look at that. 
let's let's assume that we are most of us in this room are correct in declaring that we are spiritual entities that have a body and a mind. I'll give you the four questions all at once. Who am I? Where am I? Why am I where I am? And what do I intend to do about that? If you answer these questions every day, and by the way, the answer could change from day to day. Indeed, in fact, the answer can change from hour to hour. And let that be okay with you. Let the answer be fluid. Let yourself recreate yourself anew in every golden moment of now in the next grandest version of the greatest vision ever you held about who you are. So let yourself step into the fluidity of that answer, but live the answer each day. Here are the questions again. Who am I? Where am I? Why am I where I am? And what do I intend to do about that? Let's look at the answer to the second question, where am I? What I was told, I'm going to give you my answers. You could decide whether they resonate with you or not. My answers came directly from God, so if they don't resonate with you, you're going to hell. But beyond that... (laughs) She's like, I don't think that's funny at all. Come on, the whole room is laughing. Surely you got the joke. (laughs) where am i what is this i don't mean like what room of the hotel or what city but i mean like where what is this place this it turns out it's the realm of the physical we are in the realm of the physical if you please and i was told that there are actually three realms in the kingdom of god or if you please, in ultimate reality. And by three realms, let me just say, I mean, I've been advised that there are three particular experiences or expressions of life, if I could put it that way. The experience of spirituality or the spiritual realm, the experience of physicality or the physical realm, and the experience of pure being, the realm of pure being, which is the other two combined, if I could put it in simple terms. So we move from the realm of the spiritual to the realm of the physical and from the realm of the physical back to the realm of pure being, think of a triangle, then back down to the realm of the spiritual over to the realm of the physical to the realm of pure being. And we make that journey, if you please, the journey of the soul unendingly throughout all of eternity. And it is intended to be a joyous an extraordinary journey of not just self-discovery, but actually self-creation. The purpose of which is for each element of life itself, each expression of life, to know itself in its truest identity, or to put it in simple terms, for us to understand and to experience ourselves as individuations of divinity. So that's the agenda. That's where we are in the realm of the physical. And the agenda is for us to be able to demonstrate and experience at the level of soul, using the tools of the body and the mind, to experience ourselves and express ourselves as who we really are, individuations of divinity. That divinity may know itself in, as, and through you. 
And there have been a few select individuals in human history who've actually said that out loud. They've actually said so much as I am divine. I am that which is divine. And I've come here to demonstrate that so that I might know myself as that. They also said, so are you. We didn't believe the second part of their statement. We said, oh yeah, yeah, you are, but not me. So we turned them into items of worship rather than simply human beings whose example we could follow, interestingly enough, and created all sorts of turmoil around that, including killing other people in the name of that person. Hard as that is to believe. But that was then, and this is now, and we do live in a more enlightened age. So here we are at this point in time, allowing ourselves to engage the central question of life once more in a powerful and dynamic way. Who am I? An individuation of divinity. Where am I? In the realm of the physical, which, by the way, may also be called by a second name. You could also call it the realm of the relative. In the realm of the spiritual, it is always here, always now, and all there is is love. There are no relative terms. You could call it the realm of the absolute. This being the realm of the absolute, this being the realm of the relative. And we move from the realm of the absolute to the realm of the relative for a very good reason. The soul makes that journey because in the realm of the absolute, it can know itself absolutely as what it is, but it can't experience that. Experiencing what it knows of itself requires relativity. That is, it requires that which you are not in order for you to experience that which you are. So we move ourselves into what I would call loosely the realm of the relative, where all things are relative to each other, up and down, left and right, here and there, before and after, now and then, male and female created he them, all of these relative terms so that we might announce and declare, express and fulfill, become and experience who we really are. In the absence of who we are not, the experience of who we are becomes impossible because there is nothing with which to compare it, nothing with which to, or through which to understand it. Clear? So that's what we're doing here. That, and by the way, all the great spiritual masters of all time whose lives we've recorded have told us basically the same thing, each in their own words. And because all those great spiritual masters have understood clearly what I've just described to you, they do not judge or condemn what they encounter in the realm of the relative. They do not judge and condemn that which they are not. But in fact, just the opposite. They actually bless it because they realize that it is the condition that they are not that allows them to experience the condition that they are. So they do not condemn it, or to use the words of one of those masters, judge not and neither condemn. Judge not and neither condemn, but bless. Bless, bless your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and misuse you, and be a light unto the darkness. Raise not your fists to the heavens and curse the darkness not, but be a light unto the darkness that you might know who you really are, and that all those whose lives you touch might then know who they really are as well. 
which is how we all live our lives, correct? You live your life exactly that way, I know. Well, once in a while. But if we can begin to live our lives absent judgment, to say nothing about absent punishment. Do you know in highly evolved societies, judgment and punishment, the so-called justice system does not exist. There's no such thing as punishment. That's another whole topic for another whole retreat. But think deeply and you'll understand why. And when you understand why in highly evolved societies there's no punishment, you will then understand why in God's kingdom there is no punishment also. I'm sure you all are aware of that. God punishes us for nothing. God will never punish us, never judge us. And there's no reason for God to do that because God understands that we are simply an emerging species, barely aware of who we really are, much less how to act like that. So humanity as an emerging species has the complete understanding of God. God would never punish us any more than you'd punish a three-year-old child for spilling the milk. You simply don't do that. You don't say, go to your room and stay there for the next week. You might do that because you're a very strict person. But most people would not, would not do that because they understand perfectly well how that could happen to someone so young and why they would make that choice, why that child would make that choice to reach out and spill the milk. So evolution invites us to consider our personal answer to these questions, including the fourth question, what do I intend to do about that? Who am I? Where am I? Why am I where I am? And by the way, you can localize this. And I suggest that each day you localize this. Who am I remains, the answer to that question remains the same every day. But the second question, where am I? You can localize it. You can say, I am in fact in the ballroom or in the meeting room at the Marriott in La Jolla, California. And that's where I am. Why am I where I am? Ah. That's the question that you get to answer next. And how you answer these kinds of questions, I want to repeat, can be powerfully impacting in the process of your own evolution. So why are you here today? See, ask yourself that question. Who am I? An individuation of divinity. Where am I? In the meeting room at the Marriott Hotel in La Jolla, California. Why am I where I am? Ask yourself that question. Why did I bring myself here? Was I just curious to meet the author? You know, I've heard about the guy, I'm kind of curious about him. Did I think I was going to learn something here today that I don't already know and I came to expand my knowledge base? Did I come because, you know, my partner or my pal brought me here and I just want to join him or her and be part of the process? Or did I, did I come here for a reason that's not even totally clear in my mind, but that was inspired by my soul, which brought me here intentionally to remind me of not just why I'm in this room, 
but why I'm on this earth. Is it possible that I came here for such an elevated reason? I mean, really, are we making it all up? Is it possible that that's actually why we came here to this time and place to remind ourselves of the whole process and the whole purpose of life? And after we answer those four fundamental questions, we may find out. And by the way, again, I want to remind you, ask yourself and answer those questions at least once a day. Every morning, let that be the beginning of your day. And do it more than once a day until you get used to it if you want to. But let this be part of your evolutionary process to ask and answer those questions on a regular basis. And after you get into that rhythm of encountering those questions on a daily basis, you will find, I believe, if your experience is anything like mine, you'll find your whole life being rearranged, your whole, I want to say, your whole understanding of life being rearranged. Everything will be changed in terms of how they feel and the motivation, the reason for doing and saying and thinking what you're doing, saying and thinking. It'll really rearrange your whole life. And it won't seem the same anymore. It won't seem like, you know, it, it seemed before you engage this process on a regular basis. You will find your priorities in life changing dramatically as you rearrange your life. I didn't get this until I had my conversations with God. I couldn't understand why I couldn't get my life to work. By the way, I was professionally successful. I was, you know, successful in relationships, if you consider sequential relationships one after the other successful. <laughs> I mean, I had no problem, you know, creating relationships. I, why are you laughing? Were you? Oh, it's my ex out there. I forgot. <laughs> no wonder she's laughing at me. But I had no problem creating relationships. I had no problem even creating marriages. I believed in the power and the magnificence and the joy and the sacredness of the marriage relationship. So I did get married and I got married a second time. And then I got married a third time. Then I got married a fourth time. <laughs> then I got married a fifth time. <laughs> then I got married a sixth time. Not no, yes. Wait, it isn't over. Then I got married a seventh time. At least you can't say that I was an emotionally unavailable male. Honestly, I know, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, and I'm not bragging about this. I'm using it as an example. I'm willing to be this transparent with you as an example because I really, here's the deal. I lived in a fairy tale world. I really believed in this as the magic wand. This is going to make it forever. 
And when it didn't, I was so crushed and disappointed. It was, by the way, in every case, my fault, which was the real interesting thing. I thought, of course, that the fault was over there. It was her, it was her, it was her. If I could just find the right one, what's the matter with me? But of course, it wasn't over there. With great respect to, to all of my former wives. It wasn't there. It was right here. And I want you to know, just as a matter of private information, I have made that clear to all of them and made it right with all of them. And sat down with all of them and asked them, actually begged them, can you possibly understand and help me to live with the fact that my personal growth did so much damage to you. I'm so sorry that I had to hurt you as I did so that I could somehow grow into it. Grow up, Neil, grow up. And it wasn't even just about my relationships, it was about my career, the whole business of making money, the whole business of what I was gonna do with the days and times of my life. The whole ball of wax was not so. I didn't get it. I finally sat down when I had my first conversation with God and I begged God, come on, come on. If you're God, then you clarify it. Help me out here. What does it take to make life work? I can remember sitting on the couch, crying out at four o'clock in the morning. What do you want from me? What don't I get here? God said, Neil, it's really very simple. You think your life is about you. And your life has nothing to do with you. It's about everyone whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. What? My life isn't about me? Not local you. Yes, it's about universal you in the sense that you and everyone else are one. But it's not about individual localized you, the you you think of as Neil. I've given you everything you need. You simply haven't used what I've given you. I've given you every gift you could possibly ask for. Compassion, awareness, intelligence, indeed wisdom, clarity, understanding, generosity. All the wonderful things you think of as being supremely human, I've given you, and you, and you. You lack None of that. But you have imagined that your life is about you. So you think you've got to somehow gather these things you think you don't have. Or somehow find a way to make yourself secure in a world that doesn't see you as who you really are. 
So you've got to do stuff to earn money, and you've got to do stuff to earn love, and you have to do stuff to make relationships work, and all these things you have to do. And all you would really have to do, if you really got it, was just be who you are, the divine being who you are, that can't be hurt, damaged, destroyed, upset, frustrated, angered, or moved into any negative space for any negative reason whatsoever, to hold the space of who you are, or evolve into that, if you please and use life's events as opportunities with which to do that. And if you simply did that, you would find that everything else that you thought you had to strain for and stress for and struggle for would fall in on you automatically, virtually without effort. Or as someone far more eloquent than I will ever be once said in his own words, don't go around asking, what are we to eat? What are we to drink? Wherewithal will we clothe ourselves? Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be added unto you. And so I began to follow that instruction. I began to live my life, and that's the message that I offer you here today as well. I began to live my life as if my life had nothing to do with me, as if I needed nothing, required nothing, lacked nothing, demanded nothing, even in a sense requested nothing, but simply chose to use the days and times, the minutes, the hours, the events of my life as opportunities for me to demonstrate that I already have all of that, that I am the source of it that I am not looking for some other person, place, or event to source it to me, but that I am the source of all the things I thought I needed to struggle and strain for. I am the source of that in the lives of everyone whose life I touch. Or as someone else said, gosh, could we dare to repeat what he said? I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Who says that? Unless you really think you are divine. Who says that? But what if you said it just as an experiment? Try it just today, for once. Just try it once. See if it shifts your ground of being if you try it just for, shall we say, an hour, sometime today, for one hour today, walk into the space, whatever space you're walking into, maybe it's the lunchroom, the restaurant, wherever you are, pick an hour today and allow yourself just for that hour to think to yourself, I wouldn't say it out loud. <laughs> Probably would advise against saying it out loud but allow yourself to think it in your mind, sincerely, really, all joking aside. What if for just one hour today you said in your mind, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. There's no other reason for me to be here. I need nothing from you. Not your admiration, not your love, not your approval. 
certainly not your physical things. I don't need your money. I don't need your car. I don't need your house. I don't need your body. I don't need anything. Honestly, I need nothing from you. I have but one desire to make sure that you see, that you know, that you experience, that you understand, and that you have an opportunity to express who you really are. I have come here to give you back to yourself. And the extraordinary thing about that is, should you live your life that way, even a few hours here or there that way, it's an amazing thing that will happen. People will suddenly look at you. First, they'll say, what are you on? What are you smoking? But after they get that, no, this is the new you. This is the transformed you. This is the evolved you. You finally, after all these years, figured out what you're doing here and figured out that it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with all those who have forgotten, failed to remember that they too have been given everything, but they don't know it. They don't believe it because it's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. So the question in life through which you engage and accelerate your evolution is, can you believe the highest thought you ever dared to hold about yourself? And then, if you actually embrace and hold that thought as your truth. I'm not making it up. I'm not imagining it. I'm not spinning out here. This is actually what's true about me. Then, when you embrace that highest, grandest thought you ever had about yourself, then you can embrace that thought about others as well. Only when I see who I am and embrace who I am at the highest level can I possibly see who you are. So I see that my life, in that sense, has nothing to do with me. It's about everyone whose life I touch and the way in which I touch it. And I want to repeat, should you choose to live your life in that way, it will shock you, it will amaze you how life, life's events, life's circumstances, life's situations come to you without effort. I've been married to my seventh wife now for 10 wonderful years. And she doesn't mind my telling this story because I'm not bragging about it. I'm wanting to illustrate. This is an illustration. So this is not a brag. This is not a boast. This is an illustration. Not only have I had 10 wonderful years with this extraordinary woman, she asked me to marry her. And I knew that she was extraordinary. When I met her, it was really love at first sight. I was like, oh my God, I mean, I've, after all my failures and all my inability, how could I be blessed? But I had made that shift, you see, I had made that shift. I want you to know in life, shift happens. <laughs> so I had made that change because I had received that message in my conversations with God. And I was beginning to treat 
myself and other people in the ways that I'm describing. I hadn't reached mastery, obviously. I wasn't walking on water, none of that, I'm not claiming that. But I did make a huge change in the way I was experiencing myself and interacting with other people. And so that was the person she met. She didn't meet this guy who had had these six other relations, marriages. She met this person I'm describing now just starting off on that path, but even just starting off on it made such a huge difference. That she sat in the car beside me, we were driving down the road one day, we had known each other well. I want to say we had known each other in the biblical sense. <laughs> and he knew her. For about five or six, maybe eight days, as I recall, it's just over a week, we had been close to each other. We're driving down the road and she looked at me in the car and she said, I think we should be married. <laughs> Don't say that to me twice. <laughs> she said, no, really. I really think we should be married. Done. And we flew to Las Vegas two days later, and we did, you know, the three-hour marriage thing. You go to the courthouse, you get the license, you go to a marriage chapel, and you walk out and you're married. That was ten wonderful years ago, ten years, with the greatest gift of my life. And you may think that when I said the greatest gift of my life, I meant my wife, although she is a huge gift. The greatest gift of my life was my finally learning what love was really all about. Love understood, finally. It had nothing to do with here. It was how I related over there. But I could only relate that way to my wife if I was clear that I needed nothing, required nothing, demanded nothing, was lacking nothing, searching for nothing, not even searching for love, but that I was the source of all that I was searching for. I am the source. Dare I say that out loud? much less dare I live it in my life. And that which you source to another comes back to you automatically. Here's the formula that they didn't tell me in high school, in grade school, in my family of origin. Nobody said it directly to me. That which you source to another comes back to you automatically for an astonishingly simple and clear reason. There's only one of us in the room. Of course, what I give to you, I give to me. Of course. Because there's nobody else here. There's only one of us in the room. You got to forgive me, I cry at my own stuff. This is life-changing information that you all already know, and I know that you know. I haven't come here today to enlighten you, but I have come here to enlighten you, that is to lighten you up, to help you get clear, 
that all you think you need to stress and strain and struggle for will fall in on you automatically. without you having to reach for it at all. When you become the source, it's like magic. You become the sorcerer. Make a list when you get to your room tonight of three things you wish you had more of in your life. This is an interesting exercise. Make a list of three things you wish you had more of in your life right now, whatever it might be. And then tomorrow, make yourself experience that you are the source of those three things, one of those three things in the life of another. By the way, here's what's interesting about this exercise. When you do this exercise, three things I would like more of in my life. In the next 48 hours, in the next 48 to 72 hours, in the next two or three days, you will meet someone who absolutely feels they have less of that than they want and is looking for that, actually begging life for it. And you can be the source of that in their life. And what moves through you sticks to you. That's the magic formula. As you become the source of it in the life of another, whatever it is, financial help, companionship, whatever it might be, wisdom, clarity, as you become the source of that in the life of another, it flows through you and sticks to you. That is, you have a sudden realization that you already have that to give. You just didn't think that you did until somebody else needed it even more than you. And then you give them that compassion, that understanding, that clarity, that companionship, that patience, that awareness, that wisdom, that love. You give them that, and then you realize, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I had it here all along. I had it here all along. And the more I give, the more I receive. Why didn't somebody tell me this at the beginning? Why did I have to wait till I was a half century old to hear this? So I want you to know that these wisdoms are what can change your life overnight. But be careful. Be careful. Because your life will change. People will look at you and say, what's up? What, what did, you, did you drink the Kool-Aid? What happened here? <laughs> you know, what's going on with you? And you will say, I have embraced at last who I really am and why I really came here. And I become clear and I have become the source. And I have evolved into that and just begun. That process of evolution will go on now forever and even forevermore. Now, don't end stuff. Don't end your relationship or end your job or quit your job or, you know, or move to a different city or think that somehow everything, you know, all the cards have to be thrown in the air and everything in your whole life has to change. It's not necessary, not necessary for you to do that. So don't think that transformation means disruption. You can continue to do the day-to-day doingnesses of your life much as you've done them before, but you will find that you'll be doing it for a different reason. 
you'll find that you will be going to work, engaging in your relationship, even smaller things like eating this particular meal as opposed to that, wearing this and not that. You'll find that you'll be doing the things that you are doing in your life for an entirely different reason. As a demonstration, everything that you think, say, and do will suddenly become a demonstration of who you now understand yourself to be and why you now understand yourself to be right here, right now, in this time and place. And your life will be driven by what I call the magic question. Here's a magic question that I invite you to ask yourself in advance of any decision, any choice that comes up for you in life. It could be a small choice, like, as I mentioned, what's on the menu for lunch. It could be a small choice, like, gee, I wonder what I'll have for lunch. Or it could be a large choice, like, gee, I wonder who I'll live the rest of my life with. Or what will I do for my career? You know, what is the gift I have to give? Or whatever the large choice might be, small or large, before any choice is made by you, engage what I call the magic question. Here it comes, you ready? And what does this have to do with the agenda of my soul? And what does this have to do with the agenda of my soul? Let's say you're in the kitchen and you're beloved and you are not having the most pleasant moment. It happens even between people who love each other dearly. Something didn't go quite right and there's a little bit of a tiff. Not a big blowout, not a big argument, but a little bit of a, you know, unpleasantness. And you stop yourself from reacting the way you might have reacted in the past. Me, me, I would be defensive, aggressive, even mildly attacking, and of course, always right. <laughs> what are you laughing at? I was always right in every case. Inevitably, I was right. Right was simply on my side. <laughs> you are in deep trouble, lady. You, <laughs> But now when that moment happens, and it happens in the lives of all of us, it's just a little bit of an unpleasantness, it starts to go, and I stop myself and I ask myself life's magic question, and what does this have to do with the agenda of my soul? I get a phone call at two in the afternoon. Hey, you want to have dinner tonight? We're having a few friends over. We just a kind of a spontaneous thing. How about coming by, you and your sweetheart? We'll have a nice evening and what does this have to do with the agenda of my soul? <laughs> Seriously. Want to go to see a movie tonight? There's a great film. And what does this have to do with the agenda of my soul? And large questions as well. Would you go to Croatia and Serbia in March to give a talk there? Would you go to Estonia in July and give a talk there? Will you go to Peru in August and give a talk there, all questions I've had to answer in the past three weeks. Will you go to Mexico in September? Will you go to Sweden in October? Will you, will you, will you? And what does this have to do with the agenda of my soul? But of course you can't answer the question if you don't know what the agenda of your soul is. Then you're at ground zero. Well, well I don't know. What is the agenda of my soul? But if you're clear that the agenda of your soul the reason you came to the earth, the reason you came to the realm of the physical, 
is that you might announce and declare, express and fulfill, become and experience the next grandest version of the greatest idea you ever held about who you are. When you're clear that that's the agenda of your soul, you have something against which to measure your answer to the question. What does dinner with the Smiths tonight? What does watching that movie tonight? What does going to Peru about? What is it this about? And suddenly the question, what's it all about, Alfie, is resolved. Oh, I see. I see. I get it. I now understand all of it. And I feel peaceful and joyful and ready. F-E-A-R. Feeling excited and ready. And all fear disappears from your life. Because you, frankly, don't care what happens in the sense of needing something that you're not getting. Even, honestly, even your own death. I remember being wheeled into the operating room just before my open heart surgery. I mean, if someone had told me two years ago, you're going to have to have open heart surgery, I wouldn't have believed it in a million years. I would have laughed in their face. No, I'm perfectly healthy. There's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> but they said, no, you need open heart surgery. But you know what? I remember being wheeled into that operating suite, you know, from the prep room, the wheels, you know, the, the gurney. And I'm kind of like, this is totally okay. I'm going to survive this operation or I'm not. I'm okay. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for at least making something clear to me. I begged you. I begged you. What do you want from me? God said, nothing. What am I supposed to be doing here? What you choose. Oh, come on, give me some answers. You're supposed to have some answers. God says, no, you give me some answers. You're supposed to have some answers. My job isn't to tell you what to do. My job is to empower you in making the choices you wish to make and doing what you choose to do. This lifetime and next lifetime and the lifetime after that and even forevermore, I will be here for you to empower the choices you're making. And out of the choices you're making, will you create the process of your own evolution? And out of that clarity will come your peace, finally, the peace that passes all understanding. I could, of course, be wrong about all of this. I want you all to understand that. I don't sit here and imagine for one second that I've got all the answers for all of humanity. I can only tell you what has worked for me. But if you have the slightest interest in experimenting in your own life to see what could work for you to make it even better than it is now, and I realize that your lives are wonderful right now. I mean, look where you're sitting in La Jolla, California, you know, and I, and I know that this is a wonderful place to be. And there are a lot of people. Are, is anybody here who actually lives in or near La Jolla? Four people. Look at that. Six people. <laughs> so obviously your lives are going very well. 
So you, you don't need a lot of coaching. I love these coaches that come along, how to increase your abundance and create the perfect relationship. And so, I mean, and there's probably something to that. But supposing you didn't need any coaching at all, supposing that you were the coach and that by the living of your life, you chose to coach others in how they may find what you have found. That's the invitation we are being given. That is the role we are being invited by life to play in our evolution. See, all we need right now are coaches, more coaches, more examples, more exemplars, more people willing to step up and say, watch this. Let me leave you this morning with a daring thought, a daring invitation. Could I call it even a daring challenge? To be able to move through the rest of this day, to say nothing of the rest of your life, and saying to yourself, watch me. Just watch me. Watch how I respond, how I react, how I am in the midst of this experience that's been challenging for all of us, for all of us. We all have our story. But dare you say to yourself as you walk out this door this morning, watch me. I am exemplar. I am a model. I have self-selected. I have chosen myself. By the way, we're all doing that with our children. I'm sure you know that without being asked to. Those of you who have children surely know that that's exactly who you are in their lives, whether you want to be or not. They're watching everything you think, say, and do. And they're going to imitate 90% of it, except that which they just can't accept and then reject. But imagine that if all the world were your children looking to you to bring them clarity, to bring them understanding, to bring them awareness, to bring them an example, to show them what it could be like. <clears throat> to be so wonderful. To show them, impossible as they may think it is, to show them that they can be just as wonderful as are you. That's the role we can play in our evolution. To walk out of here and decide, I have self-selected. See, no one's going to appoint you. No one's going to commission you. No one's going to assign you the task. No one's going to knight you in the field. No one's going to name you as that. You have to choose that for yourself. I am that. That's who I am. Watch me. Watch what I do. Wow, what a challenge. Try it just for today, just for this afternoon. And then as you get used to, as you become accustomed to living into your own magnificence and the wonder of who you are, 
because you know, you know, I'm not kidding you. You're aware there is no one more generous than you when the chips are down. When somebody really needs something, you don't say, no, I don't have it. Even when you don't think you have it, you give it anyway. And you find a way. Even when you don't think you have the money to offer or the time to give or the energy, you give it anyway. You know you do. I'm not kidding you. I'm not lying to your face. You know how magnificent you are. We're all just one step away from being that magnificent all the time. What stops us is the idea that we can't do that all the time because we have to survive. I mean, how could we survive? How could we live? We have to take care of ourselves too. And by the way, this is not about not taking care of yourself. This is about putting yourself on the list of those you love without condition. This is not about not taking care of yourself. But this is about shifting your understanding of the fundamental instinct. Guys, the fundamental instinct is not survival. We've been told by anthropologists and those who know that the basic instinct of humanity is survival. Wrong! If the basic instinct were survival, when you're walking past the burning building and you hear the baby crying on the second floor, you don't run in, you run away. But if you're walking by a burning building and you hear the baby on the second floor, I promise you, you run in. You run in to save that baby because that's who you are. You don't think, you don't weigh the odds. Let's see, well, am I going to survive this? What is it? You automatically run in to save that baby because survival is not the fundamental instinct. Divinity is the fundamental instinct. So how do we play the highest, most powerful process in our own evolution? Consider when you walk out that door every moment of your life as a burning building moment. I hear the baby crying. I hear the soul of humanity crying out. For God's sake, somebody show me what I don't understand. For God's sake, somebody help us. And when you make the decision that that somebody is going to be you, then in that moment, your whole life becomes a conversation with God. And this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, 
you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.